This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, this is Todd Habercorn, Mr. Spock on Star Trek Continues, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would be highly illogical. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome, one and all, the Trek Geeks. I'm your co host, Bill Smith. We're really glad you're here. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. We have a really interesting show tonight, a little bit of a departure for us, so we hope you'll uh, all enjoy it. At this point, please allow me to introduce my co host. You know, if he were the chef of the NX01, that starship would be Flavortown, baby. <laughs> He's the rockin' and rollin' Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Wow, that's probably your best one so far. I can't <laughs> say I don't disagree with that one because it's pretty good. I made ice cream today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were saying. Yes, yeah, so it's good to be here. Yeah, we do have a little bit of a different episode tonight or today or whenever you want to say you're listening to it. Um, should be fun. Looking for episode 83. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we're closing in on uh, on a huge milestone sometime next year. That'll be fun. What's that? looking forward to that? What the hundredth episode? Oh, a hundred. Yes, the hundredth episode. Oh yeah, that's God. in uh, seventeen episodes from now. Can't put yes. anything past you. Oh, I'm ready to go. Let's do them all tonight. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dan, you know, at this point of the show, we normally ask people how they can get in touch with us, but we might want to ask them if they want your margarita recipe and how might they request that from you. It's pretty good, I got to admit. I'm drinking one right now. Yes. Uh, as always, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or. You can call us at the memorized number of 508-784-1701, leave a voicemail there, or go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave a message on your digital device. Uh, you can also go to our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Uh, there is some good discussion going on there today. I was actually uh, there right before we started recording tonight. Uh, an added bonus, Bill. Did you know that you can get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast if you're a member of Camp Kittimer? Shut the front door. I'm not even joking about that. So go over there to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer to be part of the fun and get those early release episodes of the TGP. Just remember that any comments or messages you leave in any of these places may be using a future episode. Back to you, Bill. 
It's all going down right now on the TGP. <laughs> I like that. Did you just create that like right now? I did. I, just as I was reading, I'm like, all right, I say the same thing every week. I'm going to spice it up a little bit. TGP. Uh-huh. Like, like Flavor Town, baby. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going. Right there, right now, right here on TGP. That's right. You know, Dan, just a couple of moments ago, you mentioned Camp Kittimer. We have to say a lot of people have been joining Camp Kittimer lately. It's great to see. It is awesome. I, I, it's another one of those things that you never expect would have happened when we started this adventure. And to see all these people coming in so many every week and having great conversations, it's really fun. It's really, a, it's really a humbling and exciting at the same time to see all the cool stuff going on. But no profanity in Camp Kittimer, right? Uh, that's bleeping right. <laughs> <laughs> It's just in, Dan. It's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Go. <laughs> you okay? You need some water? Okay. No, I, no, I got a margarita right here. I'm good. Okay. thought you didn't have anything to drink. Yeah, I lied. Okay. <laughs> Dan, spanning the Alpha Quadrant for the latest in Star Trek news across the Federation. It's treknews.net. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Nice. Dan, it looks like there is a new Blu-ray set coming in January. Finally. I can say that I am excited about this. We've talked about ones that we want to see and that we probably never will, but I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Coming this January, we are going to finally get the complete Star Trek Enterprise on Blu-ray, and that is pretty cool. We, We didn't have this before? No, not the complete set. No, this is the whole set. It's not just uh, individual seasons one at a time. It's the whole, it's a nice little put together little package on January tenth. It's going to be available because well, maybe they had it in the UK because I actually bought a set from the UK um, on Amazon to have the complete set on Blu-ray. Oh well, all right. Well, then you went outside of the rules. IP. <laughs> No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, CBS Home Entertainment announced it. Uh, there's going to be all 98 episodes is going to be in this special package. Uh, the season sets came with a lot of new and previously recorded extra features, and we're not sure exactly if there's going to be anything new for those uh, behind-the-scenes stuff for this set. But it's still pretty cool, especially if you want to get uh, HD Blu-ray uh, presentation of, of what has become one of our favorite series, I think. Uh, I have to agree with you. I think that one of the things I like the most about Enterprise is that it translates well to HD mm-hmm. because it was essentially shot that way. Exactly. I mean, it was shot digitally for widescreen. So it requires a lot less cleaning up than, say, Deep Space Nine or Voyager would at this point. I think the only thing they're going to have to clean up is the scene with Enterprise Extra because that's just messy. What? He no. fires the phasers. <laughs> that's going to be pretty cool seeing him in HD, huh? He's not going to hear this for a while. No, that's true. He's somewhere overseas. You've got time to apologize to him, and he's not going to. He probably hasn't even hit the Beyond episode yet. Oh, goodness gracious. Come on, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) um, No, I'm actually looking forward to it. I mean, obviously, I have a complete set on Blu ray, so I probably won't buy this one. Yep. 
But uh, I look forward to hearing you know, the reviews of, of folks in Camp Kittimer who do purchase it. I think it'll be great. I think I'll be one of those people. I don't have it in, uh, in blue, on Blu-ray. So uh, I think I might take a, a gander at the cost of this when it's available and uh, see if I got some quatloos to spend on it. So let me ask you this. Have you bought Beyond yet? I've only bought the digital version. I got the digital version last month when it came out. I have not purchased the physical discs yet. Have you decided whether you will or which offering you will purchase? I haven't. Um, we've discussed this before. We, My wife and I decided to start going all digital for our movie library because it just takes up a lot of space. But the Trek movies might be an exception to that rule. I might want to have them just to have them. So I haven't 100% decided. And if I do go for a special version, I honestly don't know which one I would pick at this point. I'd have to research a little bit and see what extra features are available from what retailer. Okay. I myself have not bought a physical copy yet, but uh, I think I'm going to buy the one we're going to talk about right after this break. So, Bill, speaking of Star Trek Beyond, uh, yes. we're very excited. We're going to actually be giving one lucky listener the chance to win the Star Trek Beyond Ultimate Blu-ray gift set, which is available exclusively at Walmart. That is 100% true. So this is the same gift set that comes with four different copies of Star Trek Beyond. So, I mean, you could use it for just about everything. There's the Blu-ray, there's the DVD, there's digital HD, and then there's Walmart's InstaWatch, which is pretty cool. So, plus it comes with three very special additional bonuses, Dan. Yeah, very cool. Uh, in addition to one of the biggest movies of the year in four different versions, that InstaWatch sounds kind of cool, actually. I have to check that out. Um, this set is also coming with three replicas, three Starship replicas. One of the USS Enterprise, uh, two is the USS Franklin, and the third is one of Kral's swarm ships, which is kind of cool, so you can like throw it at somebody's neck and have fun with that. <laughs> uh, each ship is going to be about three to four inches in length, and it's going to come with its very own display stand also. Now, to win this set, we're asking people to share one particular episode of our podcast with their friends and followers on social media. So pinned to the top of both our Facebook and our Twitter pages is our episode 00, the brand new introduction to the Trek Geeks podcast. What we want you to do is find that post at the top of either of our pages, Facebook or Twitter, and share it with a brief message of why you like Trek Geeks. That's really all you have to do. That's pretty cool. But the important thing is that we want you to share episode 00 specifically with your friends on Facebook or your followers on Twitter. So in order to qualify, it either has to be on Facebook timeline or in your Twitter stream and not posted to any kind of group. Once you've done that, we're going to automatically enter you into a drawing for the Star Trek Beyond Ultimate Blu-ray gift set, which we're going to give away on November 29th. That is pretty awesome. You're going to have until November 22nd to share your post and tell your friends why you like the Trek Geeks. And your post has to be visible through the end of the contest period. If you want more details and complete contest rules, please go to trekgeeks.com slash beyond. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, yeah. It's important to know, too, this contest is for residents of the United States and Canada specifically. 
So unfortunately, if you're outside of those two countries, because this is a Region 1 Blu-ray, you're slightly out of luck. But remember, go to trekgeeks.com slash beyond. <laughs> and good luck to everybody. Moya. Well, you know, no conversation really about Star Trek's 50th anniversary year would be complete without discussing possibly the greatest adversary the original series crew ever faced. And of course, Dan, I'm speaking of Khan! Every time you do that, it just sends chills down my spine. <laughs> yes. You have issues. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Space Seed, of course, launched the first time we saw the character of Khan. We saw him again in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and again in Star Trek Into Darkness in the Kelvin timeline. Uh, quite an adversary for the crew of the Enterprise, and we figured that for this episode, why not do like a character profile uh, of Khan and discuss the character himself? So that's what we're doing, people. Yes, it is. And we're going to talk about Khan's various iterations, whether it's movies or TV, or perhaps even printed material. Um, he's a character that I think has a lot of layers and some very interesting facets, some of which may seem to conflict with themselves, but we're going to talk about that tonight. So Dan, probably the best place to start with is who is Khan? If we had to summarize a, a sort of biography for him, mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody that had no idea who Khan was? Well, I would say I would I would talk as if I was in the 23rd century. And I would say that records of the period about Khan and his origins are kind of fragmentary and a little bit vague. Uh, he was the product of selective breeding and genetic engineering uh, based on the eugenics philosophy that we all saw during Enterprise. Um, the capabilities of a man improve the entire human race was what that philosophy was. So augments produced by the program possessed physical strength and analytical capabilities considerably superior to ordinary humans. Uh, and they were engineered from a variety of Earth's ethnic groups. So Khan being uh, one of them, he was, his background was suspected to be sick uh, from the Northern region of India. Uh, he lived up to the axiom coined by one of his creators, quote, superior ability breeds superior ambition. Uh, he, at one point, ruled uh, almost a quarter of the entire planet Earth. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things in the history that we can get through uh, as we discuss. Um, he did rise to power in the mid-1990s. Uh, a wave of these genetic supermen uh, assumed control of 40 of Earth's nations. And from, like I said a moment ago, from 1992 to 1996, Khan was absolute ruler of more than a quarter of the planet, including the regions of Asia and the Middle East. Kind of cool. That's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. Because, I mean, as we think of today's modern geopolitical structure, that's an area of the world that doesn't really get along. No, not at all. You know, and you have to think of Khan as this sort of uber tyrant that, you know, but they mention in Spacey that there are no wars under his tenure and no real ma major conflicts. Mm -hmm. So that either means that he ruled with an iron hand to the point where everybody was terrified of him, or he ruled to the point where 
there was no conflict because people were placated, and I can't believe it's the latter. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll get to some of the novelizations later, but one of the things that I find very interesting is how in one of the novels that we'll talk about later, Khan rises to power, and he does so he's able to secretly control a lot of the world without the average citizen even realizing it. If that's, I mean, it's kind of hard to picture, but I've read these novels and they're fantastic. We'll get into them later, but he, he, there were no wars. Uh, he, he as you said, during space seed, um, in the mid 1990s, the, um, augmented tyrants began warring amongst themselves, but I wouldn't call that a war. That's more just battling. Um, and eventually most of the tyrants were defeated and their territory was recaptured. But uh, as many as 90 of these augments were never accounted for. And that's because Khan escaped Earth in the Botany Bay, which we know about from Space Seed. So he took off to escape what was going on uh, on Earth at the time. So... You've, you've read some of the novels, and I'm sure we'll delve into this a little bit later. Why was there the need to escape if he was ruling a quarter of the Earth? If I remember correctly, um, and I have not read the novels in several years, I will admit that, but they are very, very good. Um, there were, uh, I guess you could look at it as, I guess the best way to look at it is if you look at, a, at the mafia, and you have different leaders in different areas. Even though he was controlling a quarter of the planet, there were still three quarters of the planet that were not ruled by him. And I think sure. there was a lot of uh, of infighting going on, and he was trying to control more and more. And eventually, the other groups kind of uh, turned on him, so to speak. Okay. I guess it, you can kind of look at it as the cabal in, in the current popular show, The Blacklist, where you have all these people, and they're finally just focusing in on taking down one person. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I do plan on reading the uh, the trilogy of Khan novels that uh, came out uh, a few years back, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was all about. So he escapes Earth mm-hmm. with 80-plus followers. You know, we know 72 of them make it, you know, survive the journey. And in 1996, he sets a course course away from Earth's solar system, Mm -hmm. just out there in suspended animation in a vessel that wasn't designed for long-term space travel, which I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then in the 23rd century, some 200 years later, they're discovered by the Enterprise. Yeah, the Enterprise just pulls up right underneath it or above it, and it's just sitting right there. All right, well, let's let's check for right. Let's explain why we're laughing. Because you and I got into a big debate. Oh, what fifteen years ago? At least, yeah, yep. About wh- whether or not the Botany Bay was under the Enterprise, <laughs> and we went back and forth on this for what seemed like an eternity. It's an ultimate, you know, it, it it it's something that doesn't mean anything in the scope of the story, but we really kind of nerded out on this fact. And when the special or the remastered editions came out and they showed the new space seed, one of the first things I did <laughs> was send you an image from the internet yep. saying, look, the body base below the enterprise, you jerk. Totally below. I think is what you said. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and just to let everybody know, this past weekend, when you were doing your TOS Saturday morning, you watched Space Seed and had to send me that screenshot again, you big jerk. I did. Well, actually, I, I spent my Saturday watching all of the con. Oh, there you go. Stuff in preparation for today. There so I is. watched 
Space Seed, and I watched Wrath of Khan, the new director's cut Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and I watched the uh, the Blu-ray steelbook version of In a Darkness. Very nice. Very nice. But yeah. yes. Uh, so even though we were off point, back on point, because it was behind, underneath the Enterprise. Uh, underneath. <laughs> so Kirk and crew find this spaceship adrift and beam down and just happen to revive the leader. Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. Oh, look at this guy. He's he's wearing next to nothing. He's got some kind of cosmic fishnet on. Let's turn his pod on. Yep. And of course, McCoy drops his phaser and acts like nobody sees it. <laughs> <laughs> he does, doesn't yep. he? But um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, this episode, um, how uh, Khan is portrayed by Ricardo Montalban and what the character is like. There's a lot of very interesting dialogue that he has. Uh, and he becomes one of the ultimate villains of the entire Star Trek universe. It's amazing because Ricardo Montalban puts on a performance. You know, other actors show up on weekly television series, and they, you know, they they turn in a, a decent job and they work their part. But Montalban is really just magnetic, mm. and he captures the viewer from the moment you first see him. And he's compelling, and he does something that is memorable, and now we're still talking about it 50 years later. Right. I grow fatigued. I mean, just every every scene that he's in, the dialogue, the accent, the way that he holds himself in front of the camera makes him a menacing yet interesting character at the same time. So the Enterprise, they revive him. You know, some stuff happens. (laughs) He tries to take over the ship. He thaws the rest of his people. He winds up getting exiled at the end of Space Seed to SETI Alpha 5. Yes. And then... Uh, Boom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, at the trial, if you will, you know, they say that it would be interesting to come back in 100 years and see what sprouted from the seed they laid today, mm-hmm. as a paraphrasing. Right. But it only takes about 15 years before we find out. It does. And that's that's always one of the questions that I've had about Star Trek II, to be honest with you, is Khan makes it very clear that SETI Alpha 6 exploded six months after they were left there, and Admiral Kirk never bothered to check on the progress. I find that kind of a flaw I mean, I don't want to go too far off the rails because we're talking about Khan himself, but it's kind of weird that um, Starfleet or Kirk or anyone would not check in on leaving a megalomaniac psychopath on a planet and never check in on him. <laughs> Let's just drop this madman off on a planet that he can have total control over. And we'll also leave one of our crew with him because she was a bad girl. Yeah, don't get me. I don't know why there's a historian from Earth on board a spaceship. Let's not. We don't have to deal with that today. Okay, but uh, we had only the card, the contents of these cargo bays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Botany Bay. Very nice. Botany Bay. Oh no! Wow. We've got to get out of here. Hurry! Damn. You know. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you forgot that. No, I didn't forget it. I was trying to leave it oh, out. Okay. <laughs> You know. That was a very good Chekhov impersonation. You do love Chekhov. I um, <laughs> I, I tolerate the character. Yes, 
there are some parts of Chekhov that I don't mind. Original series Chekhov, not my favorite. Star Trek II Chekhov is pretty awesome. He is. He is pretty good. Uh, he does a good job on that. And of course, I, I think it's funny that all these years people talk about, oh, Chekhov wasn't in Space Seed, so how could Khan know him? I, I've always found that quite funny. Yeah, I have too, but I think it's easy to explain. You know, it's, it's entirely possible. It's a big ship. Chekhov could have been below decks. No. You know, maybe he didn't promote up to the bridge crew because he was just an ensign mm-hmm. at that time. Right. Could he have been on the ship? Sure. Absolutely. We'll deal with that in the Chekhov episode. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Chekhov? Which will never happen. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, you know, they find con- or confines Kirk, I should say, is probably better stated, mm-hmm. and delivers a little bit of vengeance. Great, great scene. The, the the scene between the Enterprise and the and the Reliant, you know, cat and mouse, Kirk Khan. Uh, it, that's really one of the best overall scenes in in any of the Star Trek movies, uh, and it shows the, I think the um, how vengeance and and the and the need for revenge can take over a person that you eventually slip up, uh, which Khan actually does because, as Spock says, he's quite intelligent. Uh, but his pattern indicates two-dimensional thinking, and that's actually his, uh, his downfall, I think. Z minus 10,000 meters. There you go. Drop him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Khan doesn't, spoiler alert, doesn't quite survive that encounter. What? And we figured it was done there. But no. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Years later, the Khan character is resurrected for the Kelvin timeline. Are not resurrected, well, but yeah. brought back to story. Mm-hmm. And Kirk has to deal with Khan for the very first time all over again. Yes. Uh, we've talked uh, over the years since In the Darkness came out and what we liked and what we didn't like about it. And <clears throat> I find it very interesting that the way that this Khan was played in Into Darkness. Uh, and the character and and what his thought process was. I think it's very different than the Ricardo Montalban version of Khan. Benedict does a great job, of course, but I think that his priorities lie very differently than that of the Khan from the Prime Universe. I have to agree with you entirely, and I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, I, I I have some real issues with how Khan is written in Into Darkness, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll talk about that when we talk a little bit more about some of those scenes. Okay. Um, with regard to Khan, I, I think it's safe to say that he's the most memorable of the original series adversaries. Is that fair? Yes, I think it's very fair to say he's the most memorable. However, I'm going to say something that people are probably not going to agree with, and I mentioned it to you the other day, and I think you were quite surprised by it. Yeah. I'm going to take a quote from Into Darkness to talk about what I'm what I'm going to say. And when Kelvin Spock talks to Prime Spock and asks him if they ever dealt with someone by the name of Khan, Spock says that he was the most dangerous adversary the Enterprise ever faced. And I have to disagree with that completely. I just don't see Khan as the most dangerous adversary that the TOS crew ever faced. Why? He he would never have even taken over the ship if it wasn't for Marla. He never would have even gotten the opportunity to to possibly 
uh, uh, kill Kirk and, and everybody else if it wasn't for needing a lowly, non-augmented human to help him control the ship. And so using that logic, who was the most... I don't know if I have an answer to who was, but if I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I'm... The Kelvins, and by any other name, were much more dangerous than Khan. They had a little device on their belt that they could turn you into a cube of salt, and without okay. even without even blinking. The Excalbians were another one. Um, they were able to control uh, images and and create uh, adversaries. Uh, to me, you know, like we talked, uh, uh, we saw um, uh, the Lincoln episode with Colonel Green and and <laughs> and. Uh, uh, not Kang, um, Koloth, uh, not Koloth either. I'm thinking of Kalos. Thank you, Kalos. Um, so I think in terms of more, there are many more dangerous adversaries. There may have been not a more ruthless adversary than Khan, but I don't think he was the most dangerous. I will agree that he's absolutely the most ruthless um, with probably less regard for you know, life of any kind than any of the other adversaries that Kirk and company faced. Mm-hmm. Because in most of those other instances, they were aliens who didn't quite understand us and we didn't understand them. True. So they weren't necessarily painted as evil. You know, even, even the Excalbians were trying to learn about us. Mm-hmm. You know, now can you cry like Lincoln? <laughs> okay. Go ahead, do it. Help me. Kirk. Help me, Kirk. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I do agree that there is a particular ruthlessness about Khan, but Khan's also human. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that this ruthlessness is, you know, pardon the phrase, from one of our own, because usually with aliens, it's a conflict that we've kind of created of our own doing to some extent. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you possibly think that Prime Spock said that he was one of the most dangerous adversaries simply because of the fact that he died? I don't think it was because he died. I think it was because of what it cost them overall. You know, at one point, in addition to Spock dying, you know, Kirk has to essentially trash his career. He gets busted down from Admiral all the way to Captain. Everybody runs the risk of losing everything. They all almost died twice, (laughs) either at Space Seed or in Wrath of Khan. Khan steals a Federation starship. He steals the Genesis device, which he intends to use as a weapon, and he only tries to detonate it as sort of a a last-ditch effort to take everybody else out with him. Sure, sure. So he could have taken that weapon and used it on anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and and taken that planet for his own or gone back to Earth with a settled score. True. And used it there. So I I do think he's more, like you said, ruthless. And I don't know that it's necessarily just because Spock died, although I'm sure that ranks pretty high on Spock's list. (laughs) Isn't that kind of weird talking about the fact that he died? And he's, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then he's talking to himself in the same scene. Whoa. Very bizarre. <laughs> Very meta. Ooh, okay. I like that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So we have a sense of who Khan is. As we look back at some of the various appearances, 
let's take Space Seed, for example. What would you say is probably the key scene for that character in that particular episode? Uh, I think the uh, the trial um, and how Kirk is going to uh, give him a planet, basically, to to take over and, and rule again. And you can see the look of pride on Khan's face. And it's like, okay, I'm going to get exactly what I want. I think that showed that he was one of these... I am going to control the world type of people. And he was given an, he was given an opportunity to do it after trying to kill the captain and, and everybody on the ship. He thinks he wins. Yeah. That's how I look at it. And he gets to take Marla with him. Well, that's just a, a fringe benefit right. for him. Right. For me, I think it's the dinner scene. You know, um, Kirk is wearing his dress uniform and, and so is Spock and they have dinner with Khan and they treat him as some sort of, not really a dignitary, but they show him an initial sign of respect. And then Spock starts hammering him with questions one after another and Khan at some point realizes what what's going on here. Right. He's like, yeah, that's a great tactic. <laughs> I think it's very telling about who Khan is and I think it says a lot about Kirk as a captain, then he'll just sit back and let Spock work through the veneer and get to the real meat of who this guy is Mm -hmm. so that they can learn more. I love that scene. When I watched it earlier today, I was still transfixed by it now, almost 50 years later from when it premiered. And for me, it's the best scene in the whole episode. We offered the world order. We? Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Oh, it's... it's And, you know, Montalban is just... He may as well be on a stage. Yes. He's turning in a stage level performance and it's it's mesmerizing. It truly is. I can't, I have nothing to say cuz it's cuz absolutely right. It's it really is a shame what I was going to say. I might as well say it now is it's really that's one of the people that I wish I had been able to meet at a convention at some point. Uh was Ricardo Montalban because of what he did, especially in this episode. I think this episode Space Seed is more important in for in my mind, Montalban's performance than in Wrath of Khan. I just think that this performance in the '60s episode of TOS is is phenomenal. It's it's just great. Well, let's move on to Wrath of Khan for a second. So clearly, film villains are not typically as layered as I think television villains are, and that's my own perspective. But do you think there are any? real evolutions of the character between the two appearances? Well, his chest is not a fake chest. That's for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the character, not the actor. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think that the fact that over 20 of the people that were left on SETI Alpha 5 had been killed by the eels, including his wife, gave him another layer of Looney Tunes, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, his level of vengeance and hatred for Kirk. And I think it's displaced. I don't think it's placed in the right spot. The the hatred for Kirk, Kirk didn't cause SETI Alpha 6 to explode. Um, But that doesn't matter to him. um, All these people died that he was was in charge of. He wanted revenge on what he thought was the person that put him in that position. And I think that level of manic, I guess is the best way to put it, does show through very, very well in the movie. You don't see that in the TOS episode. He's just a guy who thinks he should control the world. And in the movie, he's crazy. Yeah, he's all about killing Kirk or making Kirk feel pain. Yep. And that's evident from the get-go. I mean, you don't necessarily know that that's, that's what his thing is until he essentially steals the Reliant. Mm. 
but he clearly has changed his focus from wanting to tame a world and be a ruler to wanting to make Kirk pay. Right. Revenge. And yeah, it's it's definitely revenge. And you know, if I stop and think about it, it, it is a different take on the character per se. I don't think it's an evolution. But it clearly shows what that time on SETI Alpha 5 did to him. I would I would categorize that as an evolution though a little bit. But unfortunately, an evolution that we don't want to see someone ever go through. He evolved yeah, into that into that just focused on revenge and causing pain to the person that he perceived caused him the pain. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's fair. I guess uh, I, I probably misstated then. I'd, this character doesn't really grow in between appearances. There he does go. evolve. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I did misstate that. He he definitely doesn't. You know, he doesn't grow using those qualities into something different. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, he's acting on you know pure emotion. Right. Uh, and back to the actor just for a second. Even though I find the TOS version of Montalban, his character of Khan in that episode, so amazing, he really plays the part of a guy bent on revenge so well in this. I don't think there's any other performance that i've seen of montalban where he is the character as much as this one he he commands the screen in star trek to the wrath of every Khan. You scene know, I, remember, in. I remember seeing this movie at the colonial theater in laconia new hampshire back when it was one theater long story we can talk about that sometime in vegas and it was the middle of summer it was 82 it was hot and humid that day and I saw that movie, and I was I was transfixed. I wanted to consume as much Star Trek as I could after that, and I'd been watching Star Trek for quite some time. And all I remembered was well, I remembered two things. I remembered the eels, yes, and I remembered just how brutal Khan was, and I was like, wow. Yeah. And I, that's a huge testament to Montalban because at that point I was twelve. You know, I, I was I was still a kid. Yeah. So, what uh, what do you think uh, was one of, was a key scene in the movie? We talked about the key scenes from from Space Seed a few minutes ago. What do you think was a key scene in the movie? You know, I think about it, and one of the things about this movie that I wish were different is I wish Kirk and Khan met in person in this movie. That's right. But I think for me, one of the key scenes is when Khan's aboard the Reliant and um, his his helmsman, or the guy sitting at the helm, was it Joachim? Yeah, Joachim. Well, there's Joaquin and there's Joachim, because he says, because Ricardo Montalban would know how to say Joaquin. <laughs> but if you look at it, it's J-O-A-C-H-I-M, okay. like Mary. And... You know, he's like, well, you know, we've got Genesis. We can do whatever we want. And Khan goes, he tasks me. He tasks me and I shall have him. And then he talks about how he'd chase Kirk wherever Kirk went. You know, just just to give him some vengeance. Yeah. And that, I think, speaks a lot to who this Khan has become. He's He's so overcome by this need to get Kirk that 
it becomes his singular focus and his downfall. I agree. I, f- I pick a different scene, but for the same reason. It's when he is listening into the conversation and after what happens with Terrell, and he says, I've hurt you, and I wish to go on hurting you. I mean, it's just, he doesn't want to do anything but make this guy suffer for what has happened to him. And it's, I mean, you see... You see the 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 look on his face and his lips snarling as he's talking, and it's just a perfect example of the uh, of what drives him at this point in his life after after living on that planet the way it was for fifteen years and suffering the losses that he did. So let's move on to into darkness, because obviously we know Khan meets you know the ultimate fate at the end of Star Trek Two. You know, he winds up becoming part of the Genesis planet, if you will. Mm. (laughs) Genesis is planet forbidden. (laughs) Um, I knew that was you. (laughs) I was a little young at the time. (laughs) But in Into Darkness, we see some really stark differences in the portrayal of Khan. Obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch, an amazing actor, plays Khan in this movie. And they kind of tease us with the fact that it's not Khan at first. (laughs) Um, yeah, they use one of the names that could have been Khan when they were writing the character back in the sixties, even though every Star Trek fan that knew any of this, you know, on the planet knew that it was really Khan. Backfire much? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there are some stark differences in this character. And yes, there is some ruthlessness, but there's a whole lot of emotion too. And I don't know how that sets with me. Yeah, he's he he has a very different mindset than the con that we're used to. Uh, he he makes it very clear that his the seventy two people that are with him are more important to him than anything else. They're his family. He has he has tears running down his face as he discusses how important uh, those people are to him. It's very very different than the con that we're used to from the prime universe. And I have to say, I hate that scene now. It's not, I, I don't hate the scene, but it's, it's uncomfortable, I guess is the best way to, to do it. I don't know if it's, if it's, if it looks forced to me from Benedict, but from a character standpoint, it's so not what we're used to, but anybody can use the argument. Well, it's a different universe. It's the Kelvin universe. It's not the same. They don't have to be exactly the same, but, um, he does have the, I think he does have the, maybe not the same amount of ruthlessness that prime con has, but I think he can be far more brutal than the con that we saw in, uh, space seed and wrath of con. Well, perhaps, but, you know, original timeline Khan didn't have to demonstrate that brutality right off the bat. As it was, he was trying to kill the entire crew of the Starship Enterprise. Mm-hmm. That's pretty b- brutal. Yeah, but I don't know if we would have ever seen uh, Khan from Prime, of course, time of the the year that the movie came out, crush an Admiral Skull. Maybe we would have, but <laughs> I, I think the thing that bothers me about the way Khan was written in that movie, in Into Darkness is that they made him more human. And he's supposed to be superhuman. Mm -hmm. I don't expect Khan to cry. And that may seem like a trivial thing, but this is a man who ruled one quarter of the earth. This is a man under whose rule there was no dissent. 
And that's probably because people were scared. They were terrified. I understand the things he would do for his family, but I think that that would just elicit more rage and vengeance rather than tears. It's a very good observation. I uh, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I that's just the way I watched it yesterday, and I was like, you know, this scene really doesn't set well with me. I mean, if I think of this just as an augment or you know a superhuman, then I'm okay with it. If it was one of Khan's crew, I'm fine. Right. But it's the Khan. But this is yeah, this is Khan Noonien Singh. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is supposed to be, you know, the genetically engineered Superman. He is supposed to be the ultimate foe. And I don't think he's going to start crying over his family. Maybe I'm wrong. But how do you see it? I think the con from our universe, I, I consider ourselves the prime universe. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Sure. Um, he would not have cared if his first officer, uh, well, I can't really say that because he is upset when uh, Joaquin dies in Star Trek Two, and he hugs him and says, I shall avenge you. So I was going to say that Ricardo Montalban's con wouldn't care if a member of his crew died, if it was for, if it was for what he wanted, where this... Benedict's con, I think, is different. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. Uh, I will say that in terms of, I don't know if intelligence is the right word, because we both know that they're uh, genetically enhanced, so they've got the superior intellect. He, the, the con in Into Darkness seems much more conniving than we saw from Ricardo Montalban's, but that could be the vengeance thing, taking over every aspect of of Khan in, in Star Trek II. Um, but we see that uh, Khan has a plan the entire time that he's on the Enterprise and goes over uh, to um, the Admiral's ship. He's got a plan, and he's going to carry it out, and he's just using Kirk. He, he is, and Marcus was also using Khan. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time believing that a 200-year-old frozen man, as as Kirk says in that movie, would just let himself be used, especially when he could wipe the floor with anybody that came at him. As we saw, one of the scenes that I've I've never really... I've, it's, it's a good action scene, but it's, it's a little over the top, was the way that he's able to handle all of the Klingons when they're on Kronos. Yeah. With just one Gatlin gun, so to speak, and a couple of hand phasers. He can wipe the floor with anybody based on that scene, but he never does it except for that scene. So you're absolutely right in that aspect. I I don't think it's the best portrayal of Khan. Now, don't get me wrong. Benedict Cumberbatch is amazing. He is. He's a wonderful actor, but I don't think that that script, which has a, a myriad of problems, treats Khan the best way. I don't think it does either. And I think, I actually think that over the course of time, the, I said backfire much a little while ago. I think that whole thing that happened before the movie was released and what was said and what was not said hurt the character of Khan in this movie. If that sounds strange, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, but I really think that happened. I think people went in, once they realized what was going on, that, it was it was a scarred movie because of 
basically because of the lies that were told beforehand. I understand you want to keep things secret, you don't want to things get out, but it was stated unequivocally that it was not Khan, but it was. And I right. think that hurt. I think that hurt the film. Uh, I, I do think it hurt, especially with fans, and for non-fans, it made them wonder, huh? Yeah, exactly. What? And J.J. himself has come out um, since then and said that, that it was handled completely wrong. So let's talk about some other appearances of Khan. You know, back in the day when we used to have audible ads in our podcast, you would always talk about uh, the rise and fall of Khan Noonien Singh, yes. which you read years ago. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of thumbnail that book for us and tell us what it's about? It's it's awesome. It's it's a, there's actually three parts to this book. Uh, it's a trilogy of books, I should say. The first one is called The Eugenics Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan, Noonien Singh, Volume 1. It's by Greg Cox, and it chronicles the actual genetic enhancement project that led up to his birth. He wasn't even born yet at the beginning of the story. And two principal characters in this book are Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln from the TOS episode. Interesting. It's really woven very well together. Um, it uh, they do. He is born. They have um, some early childhood uh, scenes with him from the viewpoint of Gary and Roberta. They actually interact with him quite a bit. Uh, it's really a well done novel. Uh, I think it ends in the late 1970s. Is about when that book ends and the next one starts. Uh, the Eugenics Wars Volume Two. Uh, shows Khan rising to power and actually stealing Seven's technology because we know he had some secret technology that he got from aliens. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, this book shows how he was able to secretly control a lot of the world without anybody really even knowing it. And it's very well done. Um, Interesting. What I like about books like this, if a book is really good, I can visualize scenes in my head uh, as I would think they would be on a TV episode. And they both of these books do this very, very well. Um, the final uh, book in this trilogy is called To Reign in Hell, The Exile of Khan Noonien Singh. And basically, it explains his life on SETI Alpha 5 after being left there by Kirk and the Enterprise. Um, and it also shows what happens after the explosion, uh, what happens with his followers, with his wife, where even though we never really are told definitively in The Wrath of Khan that Marla was his wife, in the book, Marla is his wife. Um, and uh, basically, we see uh, when Chekhov and Terrell encounter him. The book is kind of neat in that the beginning of the book is – after, oh, it's kind of hard to explain. It's it's kind of one of those, the beginning of the book is after the events that we read about in the book. Does that make sense? Okay. It's, it's one of those. It's kind of Tarantino. Yes, exactly. Um, I recommend all of all three of these books, especially if you're, if you're a fan of the Ricardo Montalban con. Uh, Greg Cox does a great job in, in these novels, and they're very enjoyable. It sounds like the kind of story that would make for a great graphic novel. Absolutely. It would, very much so. I would agree with that 100%. Now, speaking of graphic novels, there were a series of comics that came out um, to support Into Darkness, or at least to tell part of that story. Because one of the, the questions that people were left with, people like me, was how could Khan be a pasty white guy if he's a Sikh from northern India? Mm-hmm. And that, I think it's a four-book series, kind of explains how Khan looks like Benedict Cumberbatch. 
Is that anything you want to give away spoilers? Because I'll be honest with you, I have them, but I have not read them yet. So I don't even know. So if you want to spill the beans, man, I want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to spill the beans necessarily because I think they're a worthwhile read. Okay. You know, they they do try to create an in-universe explanation as to why Khan doesn't look Indian. Is it believable? Um, I think that's up to the reader. All right, let me Honestly. rephrase. Was it believable for you? No, <laughs> not entirely. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's it almost seems like they tried to backdoor a story because they picked an actor who they really liked and then said, well, hey, we could always do some comics on this to explain it later. Sure. And the comics, the comics are written halfway decently. I mean, they tell a decent story until that point. Okay. I'm actually interested in reading them because a couple or maybe a year or so ago, you you um, set me down the path of getting the prequel comics for the 2009 reboot, which talked about yeah. Nero and everything. Those were very well done. I enjoyed those a lot. So uh, it'll be interesting. I'm going to have to start reading these so I can figure out exactly why he looks the way he does. They were outstanding. The 2009 the, uh, one? Yeah. The 2009 really, ones. really well done. The countdown series. Yes, very good. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about the character. We've talked about his appearances. We've talked a little bit about the actors. Um, is there anything you want to add about either Montalban or Cumberbatch before we go forward? Um, not a lot to add. Like I said, Montalban, this was his, this was his, in my mind, the top the top performance that he gave. I've seen him in a lot of stuff, not as much as he's done. Obviously he was, he was very, uh, he, he did a lot of stuff back in the day, but to me, I mean, this was just, this was just the pinnacle of, of his career. Uh, he was, he's going to be forever loved in Star Trek universe for being the ultimate villain, which is kind of funny. Um, and I think Benedict did a fantastic job as Khan. I think, uh, it's kind of like Voyager. He did awesome with what he was given. I think that's a good way to put it. Of course, you could give him a paper bag and and he could probably get an Oscar <laughs> performance out of it. He's so great. Yeah. <laughs> um, just that voice is just so, so awesome. And um, they, <laughs> I hate to say it, it was a Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. They left it wide open. Who knows if we're ever going to see Benedict again as Khan. I will say, I think he was woefully miscast. Who, ah. <laughs> Um, I don't think that as good as he is, I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch was a great choice for Khan. Do you think they did it for the wow factor? No, I, I think that they had certain people in mind. Uh, I think at one point they wanted, oh God, who was it? Was it Benicio del Toro? Oh, I wouldn't have liked that. Or maybe it was Javier Bardem. I'm not really sure. The guy who was uh, in Skyfall. Okay. Um, I think they were wanting a completely different actor and it didn't happen and Cumberbatch became available. And when you have an actor of that caliber become available, yeah, you sign him. The only problem is they didn't change the script because he, again, doesn't look like Khan. They kind of whitewashed the character. Yes. Well, not kind of, they did. Yep. They whitewashed the character and that's a big thing in Hollywood right now. So, so, so if you and I had to put our thinking caps on, uh -oh. so let's pretend for a moment that Khan is not played by Benedict Cumberbatch in Star Trek Into Darkness. Who do you think could have or should have been cast 
as Khan in that film Very good. And, and pulled it off? Very good question. I actually have two answers. One is a runner-up, um, but I, I wanted to put him in there as a, as a oh, this would have been kind of cool, but my, my ultimate choice far outweighs the number two. And I thought that the number two choice would have been Ferran Tahir, uh, as we know, played Captain Rubau of the USS Kelvin in the 2009 reboot. I thought he would have been yeah. a great con, but he was captain of the Kelvin, so he really couldn't do that. Um, do you like that choice? I think that's a. I think that's a really good pick. I mean, most of the things we see Ferranta here in, you don't get to see him chew scenery like Khan does. Right. I think he could have been really intense. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have brought a really interesting quality to Khan. Right. So, yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting. It's it's almost a shame they used him for for <laughs> Captain Robau. And he didn't last long. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but my pick is for the very reasons that you just said. He he can control a scene. Uh, he can he can he can blow it out the box, as I like to say. And that is Arnold Vosloo. It would be my choice to play Khan if we were recasting. And for those who may not be familiar with the name, he was Imhotep in The Mummy, and he was also Habib Marwan in season four of 24. Those are the two things that I think of most when I think of this guy. I think he would have been an awesome Khan. He really would have done a good job. I think it's a fantastic pick. Not only does he have the physical presence, mm-hmm. but even just from The Mummy alone, you know that... You know, he can seem like a really good, bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And he is, he's ruthless as Marwan in season four. Uh, oh, he is. And we've got the tie-in with uh, In a Darkness from season four of 24 with the uh, Admiral or the commander of uh, the uh, the sta- space station. Baruza's mother. Oh, right, yes. right, right, right. Yeah. We're from beyond. Yep. Uh, what did I say? In a Darkness? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. That's I knew where you were going. Okay. That woman whose name we can't pronounce. And, and I'm not even going to try. That's why I didn't say. That Baruza's <laughs> mother. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what Wasn't about, that Cal Penn? I don't know. In 24? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So my pick. Yeah, who do you got, man? I, I think my pick is somebody that you're going to think about and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because you've seen this person opposite Ferran Tahir in an episode of Lost. And I'm speaking of Naveen Andrews, who played Saeed on Lost. He would make an amazing con. My name is Khan Noonien Singh, and I am a torturer. (laughs) Well, because he's in Lost, we saw a variety of of qualities that Saeed had. There was that ruthlessness, but there was also empathy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of depth to that character. And Naveen Andrews just knocked it out of the park with everything that JJ and company gave him on that show. That is an awesome pick, man. That would be phenomenal. I would love to see that. Could you imagine him as Khan? Oh, that would be just uh, now. Let's now. What con, Which Khan? Just young Khan, Star Trek Two Khan, in a darkness Khan. Well, I mean, we're talking about if Cumberbatch hadn't Cumberbatch, been available. Yep. Oh, my God. That would just be awesome. I could see that happening. Let's get on the horn with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he would have been phenomenal. Wow. That's a great pick, dude. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I knew you would because Lost is your favorite <laughs> so show, which good. I still don't understand. It's lose. Uh, I don't know. I might have one that's going ahead of it. Which one? The Arrow. How is Breaking Bad not your favorite show of all time? Because I can't get my wife to watch it with me. Why do you hate America? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, any parting thoughts on Khan, Noonie, and Singh? 
I think that he will always be remembered as the biggest villain in Star Trek history. I think for the wrong reasons, which I talked about earlier, but that doesn't take away from a freaking awesome character that causes a lot of headaches for a lot of people. I think that part of the reason we never tire of Khan is because of the way Ricardo Montalban mm-hmm. portrayed him, both in Space Seed and in Star Trek II. Absolutely. Star Trek II is just a master class in how to be a great villain. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen that movie hundreds of times, and I mean that quite literally. And I, I never tire of it because of Montalban. And it's funny that Star Trek II is not Gene's vision, but it's the movie that everybody thinks about. And I think it's because of Montalban. I, I think that's 100% true. You know, he, he doesn't just act. You know, he puts in a performance. Yes. You know, and I think that's what elevates his con above Cumberbatch's to some extent. Oh, I agree with that 100%. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Dan, that's kind of our look at cons, um, a a character I will always love to watch regardless of the iteration. Although I think it'll be a while before I watch in a darkness again. (laughs) You had to to stick with it the other day, huh? (laughs) I I didn't finish it. If if that helps. (laughs) When did you get it off? I got through the scene where he bawled like a baby in the brig (laughs) and I was like, I'm done. I'm so done. Uh. I do like his I do like his ruthlessness at the end when he's talking to Spock on the view screen. I will walk over your cold. I just love that scene. That scene with the shall we begin. I think that's that shows his his brutality. Uh I think. But uh, Can you, you imagine yeah. Montalban in that scene? Oh, that would be so great. I wish we could turn the clock back just a little. Oh, oh that would have been, been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, something else that's amazing is our friends in the band 5 year mission. Your personal friends and compatriots. I love them. (laughs) Without them, this podcast wouldn't sound nearly as good as it does. They are all the music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast, and truly, we can't thank them enough. We hope everyone goes out to fiveyearmission.net, downloads all of their albums, and becomes a huge fan so that you can... You know, maybe see them again someday. Who knows? I'm, I'm, I, we're going to start that petition hashtag STLV fifty one FYM. Let's do it. All right, let's, let's do get it. it. Going. I like that. You know what else? What you know what else I like about five year mission? What's that? I like the fact that. Did you know that Andy actually received an accommodation for original thinking once? What? Yeah, he did. He was the only person to ever beat the no drum scenario. That's oh, right. God. He beat the Kobe Farky Maru. <laughs> I got a laugh. I got a laugh. It's 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 a pained laugh. <laughs> it's like you know, wait, you know when Picard is stabbed by the Nausicaan <laughs> through the heart and he looks down and he sees this weapon sticking out of his chest and he just starts laughing. That's the kind of laughter so I just you- had like uh, so, uh, so basically, I just stab you through the heart. Oh, <laughs> dude! It's a he got a combination for it. Kobe Farky Maru, man. From who? I don't know. Rittenhouse. <laughs> so, sorry, from whom? <laughs> so, have you been watching the show Timeless? I have not. There's this big conspiracy from this organization known as Rittenhouse, oh. and every time they mention, all I can think of is. 
five-year mission. That's awesome. They got to get him as a guest star on the show. <laughs> Love those it'll guys. Be the fa- it'll be the fan film. They can build a studio. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, please head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Score yourself some tunes. Trust us, you're not going to be disappointed. Dan, we're also in the midst of our iTunes subscribe and review campaign. We're hoping everybody goes out and gives us an honest-to-goodness rating on our podcast on iTunes. Yeah, we love to hear it. Um, And you're going to be uh, included, or is included the right word? But you're going to be eligible to win a $25 Amazon gift card just for writing a review about us, whether it's good or whether it's bad. We want to hear it, and you could win some cash. That's true. Um, either twenty five bucks in the U.S. Amazon or the equivalent in your country's version of Amazon. So this is open to anybody all over the world. Quite frankly, beautiful. So for more information, we hope you go to uh, trekgeeks.com slash iTunes, and you can find all about how to review the show. Dan, next week, we have an episode you and I have been talking about for quite some time. It is back. See it or skip it, people. We've been talking about this one for a while. We've loved the see it or skip it episodes we've done so far. So next week, we are tackling the first season of our favorite series, Deep Space Nine. Enough said. Second shop. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't couldn't let that go. Wow. Hey, Alan Moraine, count to four. Oh, God. Gee, I wonder what I'm going to Alan Moraine, <laughs> then three more. Yeah, that'll be a scene on my list, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, let's not spoil it, okay? <laughs> That's not a spoiler, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to go check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions. They're online at thetricordertransmissions.com. They've got... Like 17 gajillion shows out there. Did you know that? 17 gajillion. Isn't that the number of uh, on our rating for Drozen? Uh, actually, yes. We are officially Adam Drozen's 17th gajillionth favorite podcast. Nice. On Tuesday. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's a problem. Well, yes. Well, Tricoder Transmission does have a lot of shows. They uh, do. Whether it's Shore Leave or the, uh, the flagship show or the Atavacron. They really have something for every Star Trek fan, so we seriously hope you'll check them out. And Dan, of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please get yourselves on over to treknews.net. They are our first stop, and we hope they become yours too. For now, this has been Episode 83 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. So I'm playing Star Trek Online now again. Just want to let everybody know. My character's name is Dorkfish, and I am captain of the USS Coconut. Check it out. Love it. Love it. jerk wow well sorry that was my new ringtone for you that was you're a liar no that's what it's gonna be i i'm I rec- no I'm that's not what you it. said you said that's my new ringtone for you it's a declarative statement
All right. Okay. Well, then, you know me in the English language. I miss. I misspoke. Misspoke. <laughs> wow. Your can Honor, we just, can we just yeah, get started, please? <laughs> Your Honor, I enter as Exhibit A. <laughs> so I got a funny story for you. Oh boy! Right before we came upstairs this evening, uh, I was flipping through the stations and and was watching the Green Bay Packers versus the Indianapolis Colts. Farks as was team. I. Fark's team. And my dad's team is Green Bay. And Green Bay is getting embarrassed by, I'm sorry, an inferior team. But that's neither here nor there. I'm glad that they're, looks like they're going to beat Green Bay. You said Fark was your friend, right? Yes. Because he's an indie fan. I know he is. But but they're, they haven't been great this year. But Green Bay hasn't been great either. But they're beating Green Bay, and they deserve to win. They've been playing better today. So I made ice cream today. <laughs> wow, you got off of that topic as quick as you could. Yep, yep. First time. It's yummy. What uh, what flavor? Well, it's, uh, it, uh, we were watching Triple D last night. Oh Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because you were sending me pictures of him today, um, and they had this. It was an all bacon episode. And they were out in Bakersfield, California, at this little place called the Moo Creamery, and they made bacon in everything, including ice cream. They had maple ice cream with bacon in it. So this morning, I pulled up the recipe, and I made maple ice cream with bacon in it. And it's wicked good. I'm a little alarmed that you keep using the recipes from the charlatan. (laughs) I dress, hey, I cosplay as him. I think it's kind of I'm supposed to, aren't I? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. It was good hey, though. It's good. I I just I got I got nothing. <laughs> you want, but it's yummy ice cream. Starfleet. We don't lie. <laughs> I, I will never get tired of that. Hold on oh, one more time. The only. I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. John Shank. <laughs> he says it better than Wesley does. I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. <laughs> we got to get him to do a special Trek Geeks version of that. I'm with Trek Geeks. We don't lie. <laughs> no, no, no. See, I like it the way it is because mm-hmm. he, you know, he auditioned for Wesley at one point. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So that version, which is a lift straight from Mission Log, it is, just makes me happy. It's, it's a, it's one of my ringtones. Okay, one of my ringtones is "You're a Jerk." Remember, I told you that at the beginning of the show. Is it set for your contact file? <laughs> Why would I call myself? You're. So I dumb. can believe you're you do so, call you know, yourself. You're so dumb. Because you're the only friend you have. That's true. I'm. Just, I am pretty lonely. Yeah. Look at you. <sighs> yeah. You forgot ugly. No, no, I didn't. I just didn't want to say it. Yeah, but ugly. Yeah, I am. So all all the people out there listening, um, you, you can call the Trek Geeks phone number. I don't know it off the top of my head, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you still don't know it. It's been almost two years. I know. It's but I just read it so often. I just uh, I think it's what is it five zero eight seventy four one seven zero one. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. That's so call that uh, number. Tell That's exactly what it is. Agree with everybody that I'm butt ugly and stupid, like Bill said. Even I know what the number is, and I don't even read it. That's because you created it. Uh, that has nothing to do with it. it works for me. 
Your face works for me. I know. it's Well, no, we can't say it's handsome because we just got done saying that I'm butt ugly. That's why I feel nauseous right now. Wow. Okay. This is going to be a fun show. Right.